We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the RotoWire NFL DFS podcast for week six. I am Scott Jenstead, joined again this week by Derek Van Riper. If you could please rate or review the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you enjoy listening to us week after week and you could uh, leave a good review, leave a bunch of stars, leave a positive comment, we would greatly appreciate that. Derek, it's uh, it's week six. The season is, uh, is, is, is spinning by pretty quickly. How are you? I'm doing all right. I had maybe the worst DFS week of the season last week, and and something felt wrong Sunday morning. Like I, I just, I don't know. I didn't have a good vibe. I didn't set more lineups than usual or anything like that. Uh, I think I set a new pentathlon season record for futility, and that was basically a cash game lineup. <laughs> so there were some there were some goofy decisions in there. I was too high on Amari Cooper. Um, you know, just things like that. Mike McCarthy with Aaron Jones bit me a few places as well even though that shouldn't have played out that way. It did. So, you know, uh, it was a rough week, but there's really nowhere to go but up. Yeah, it was probably my toughest week, too, and it was weird. Like, my, uh, I usually set a couple of uh, 
a couple of uh, you know bigger cash lineups and and some that I enter in some of the bigger GPPs, and then I have you know throw some throw some darts in the smaller GPPs. My my small lineups I didn't spend a lot of money on did pretty well, and my my bigger lineups were terrible. And it was I hit on a lot of guys, but I just hit on some zeros. I had Brandon Cooks in a bunch of spots for his zero. Mm-hmm. I had I had your boy Aaron Jones, who you mentioned uh, for six points, and just I had, I had some Vance McDonald, and he was obviously a huge letdown in that game that you know, had a lot of points. So it was a it was a weird week where I hit on a bunch of stuff, but I had too many zeros to. to make up for it i think i had cooks in that same cash lineup as well i mean that, so we had a lot of the same pieces and i think i may have clustered all of them in my main lineup which is <laughs> i don't know i mean i guess it's better than spreading them out over like five different lineups but uh yeah it, it's embarrassing nonetheless yeah and i mean the cooks thing was just unfortunate i mean the second quarter he got he got smoked and had a got a concussion so it's uh, one of those that you can't uh you know, we like to say that you avoid injuries in DFS. It uh, it solves that season-long problem. But when, when a guy gets hurt in the second quarter, it kind of ends your day anyway. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. So on to uh, better things here in, yes. uh, in week six. Yeah, so week six is a kind of an interesting slate. You know, we have some – on the main slate, we have a lot of big offenses missing. We've got, uh, you know, the Giants in Philly play tonight. And, you know, maybe not the best offenses, but a lot of pieces in there that we usually like to look at. You know, you've got the Chiefs and the Patriots playing Sunday night. So, obviously, it takes a lot of guys off the board when you, when you get rid of Mahomes and Brady and Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt and Gronk. And then Monday night, you got the you got the Packers, so you get, you get Rodgers off this slate. So, it's interesting and – the most interesting position is probably tight end. I think you could arguably say that the five top tight ends in the NFL aren't on the main slate between Gronkowski, Kelsey, Ertz, Jimmy Graham, and George Kittle. You know, maybe you stick Eric Ebron in there for how good he's been or a couple other guys, maybe a Kyle Rudolph. But you've got you got arguably five of the top tight ends that aren't on this slate. It kind of, kind of makes tight end really interesting this week. Yeah, it's the position where you almost by necessity have to look for some cheap options because there's not really a lot there worth paying up for. Uh, Cameron Brait is yep. probably the the chalky cheap option. He's 4,500 on FanDuel. You know, Jameis Winston's back under center for the Bucks. Falcons defense remains a train wreck. We've talked about that throughout the season. But yeah, it is strange to have one of the more obvious cheap plays be at the tight end position and have it to be Cameron Brait too. I mean, Jordan Reed was a ghost in that Monday night game against the Saints, so it's kind of uncomfortable to pay more than 6K for him. Um, Cook is still a guy that I just don't trust that much. That game's being played in London. John Gruden's probably trying to like parachute in an hour before kickoff to avoid eating food in England for the week. I mean, there's there's weird stuff with the Raiders and their travel schedule. Uh, and even Eric Ebron, who has been you know, really good in this Colts offense, he's actually the highest projected scoring tight end on the main slate based on the rotowire projections, he's a little bit banged up right now too. So maybe he ends up being just fine. He didn't practice Thursday due to shin quad ankle and knee injuries. Oh, that's it? Only only four only four leg injuries simultaneously happening right now with Eric Ebron. Why can't uh, John Gruden button any of the buttons on his polo shirt? I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> it's just weird. Like at least button one of them. It's it's just a strange look. It's very 80s, but it's, um, I mean, you think about when, when John Gruden was trying to be like characters on Miami Vice, like that, that's probably where that came from. I suppose so. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about tight ends a bunch and, you know, kind of look for some, uh, some ways to uh, maybe avoid the Cameron Brait chalk. He's obviously going to be super high percentage if OJ Howard does not play. Howard did partially practice on Wednesday. So there's a, there's a chance that OJ Howard may, uh, may mess up that, uh, that Cameron Brait level a little bit, but you look at uh, running backs, and there's not like the obvious chalk guys there either. And we've got some possibilities. Latavius Murray, if Dalvin Cook doesn't play. Uh, maybe Tevin Coleman, if Devontae Freeman doesn't play. 
Maybe TJ Yeldon, but he's up to 7,100 on Fandle. So you don't, we don't have that, uh, that obvious uh, chalk running back, at least as we talk on Thursday. You know, there might be a couple situations that open up with some injuries, but th- there's not that obvious plug-in cash play this week. Yeah, I think the the Freeman situation in, in Atlanta does probably open the door for Tevin Coleman again. His price checked back down to, I think, 6300 on FanDuel for yep. this week. So that does make him a really nice value play. Even if you look at it and, and Freeman's active, wouldn't surprise me at all if it's more of like a 70-30 split favoring Coleman. My question for you, if Devontae Freeman were to be ruled out, do you look at Ido Smith as more of a threat now to be in a timeshare with Coleman than you did earlier in the year when Freeman was hurt? Yeah, probably probably a little bit more. I mean, I think frustrating last week because he scored the, the, the touchdown and kind of uh, kind of brought a lot of tension. But you still look at him. He still only played 12 snaps last week. He had three carries for five yards. Uh, the week before, he did have seven carries for 35 yards, a little more involved. But I think the I think the vulturing of the touchdown maybe is, is garnering him a little more attention that, that we need to be paid on him. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And I think that low price on Coleman would pull a ton of ownership rate if we get clarification on Devontae Freeman well in advance of Sunday. Yeah, and you mentioned the, you mentioned the Falcons. Uh, interesting week this week. We got, we've got three games that are really high over-unders, and we have a whole bunch of games that are uh, that are low. We have, a, we have eight games this week that are an over-under of 45 or lower. Um, and then we have three really low ones. We have Chicago at Miami's 41.5, Jacksonville, Dallas is 40.5, and, and Baltimore and Tennessee is 41. There are some, there's some ugly, uh, ugly late games on the slate. If you, uh, if you happen to, uh, to need to uh, get out of the house for a couple hours, uh, the afternoon this week might be good. Uh, we've got Jacksonville, Dallas, Baltimore, Tennessee as two of the three late games, and you have the, the Rams in Denver, which should be pretty good. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a meager, it's a meager late slate in terms of the quality of games and the number of games this week. Legitimately had this conversation with with Halpin on the season long pod uh, earlier today, and it was like, if you are the kind of person that has family activities that are required of you on some Sunday of your choice in the fall, like say like apple picking or going to a pumpkin patch or a corn maze, the NFL has gifted you a week here in week six in the late afternoon where it's only three games and it's three games that you probably don't want to watch all that closely. You could catch up on them pretty easily, at least skip the first halves and and do like family stuff. So I don't often advocate just completely punting on a chunk of games, but man, they did a good job with the schedule making that possible. If that's something you have to do. Yeah, we lose that we lose that Seattle at Oakland game to London, so that becomes a that becomes a one o'clock uh, Eastern or ten o'clock Pacific start, so that uh, kills one of those games. But uh, we mentioned the low over under games, but with that, you know, there's a lot of them. But that we've got Cincinnati and Pittsburgh is an over under of like fifty three. Denver and the Rams we mentioned the afternoon games fifty two and a half, and you have Atlanta Atlanta Tampa Bay is the big one at, at fifty seven. So you've got this this week where you have three really big games, uh, a couple games in the middle, and a lot of games that are low. So it's gonna be interesting to see if people just stack the crap out of those top three games. I think that's a really interesting thing to watch. And I, I kind of wonder, like, of the games that are below 50, like, which one's going to pop as the most likely to hit the over? Because that could be the sneaky game where you get players that are under-owned but come close to matching the production uh, in some of the more, like, cash-friendly games. I mean, you're going to see tons of Falcons and Bucks around cash lineups, tons of Steelers and Bengals. Uh, you know, that, that Bengals offense continues to surprise me. They got to a really slow start last week against the Dolphins but rallied back enough to where... I, I didn't didn't feel I didn't feel terrible when that game was over. I felt pretty bad for a while, but they kind of pulled together last minute. And Joe Mixon looks so good. Like I, I'm really happy in the leagues where I ended up getting Mixon at that two three turn. Where you know Mixon versus Jordan Howard was something that I was kind of torn over back on draft day. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's an easy call now. But that Cincinnati Miami game is weird because you know we really like defenses and that are you know leading the game in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati was down seventy three and seventeen three in the fourth quarter and ended up scoring two defensive touchdowns. That that is something you do not see very often. Very unusual, absolutely. And uh, I, as I look for the games that might exceed my expectations, the one that kind of caught my eye as I was going through the basic uh, prep work for this week. Is actually the uh, Carolina-Washington matchup. That one, I think, is one where you could see a few more points, uh, mostly on the Carolina side. Right. I just don't think Washington's very good. Like I think that's that's a team where Carolina's going to start finding stride offensively a little bit. So it, the tournament cam appeal is there once again this week. Yeah, that uh, that Alex Smith contract suddenly doesn't look so fantastic with three years left on it, and it's a guy that I really like as a guy. Uh, you know, he, when he when he left the Niners, he was super classy about everything, but um, just not a guy that I don't is things ever going to make the difference for you. Look at Kansas City right now, how much better they are with Patrick Mahomes. I I like Alex Smith, but you know, if you're paying him ninety four million dollars over four years, I think you've got a problem. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. It just it didn't make sense for them to go down that path and. Week to week, it's an offense that I just don't really trust that much. Yeah, I'm with you there. So let, let's jump into the games here. Uh, the, the, we'll start at the 10 o'clock uh, Pacific. Sorry, I'm Pacific time, so I just go automatically go 10 o'clock games. Uh, first game is Arizona at Minnesota. Uh, interesting in the fact that we have Minnesota at home as a big favorite, 10.5-point favorite, over under 43. Kind of the same situation we were in a couple weeks ago when they got smoked by the Bills. So, you know, all this stuff we say is uh, kind of with that, well, you know, a couple weeks ago all this stuff didn't work out either. But starting on the Arizona side, uh, I guess the only guy I'd even think about is David Johnson. But Minnesota hasn't let a rush TD yet this year. He's going to have a lot of game script issues if this game goes anything like we think it will. Um, he has been scoring touchdowns, but, you know, he still hasn't stopped top 75 yards rushing. He's a little more involved in the passing game. It's still only 13 targets last four weeks. I, I think I'm away from Johnson this week, even at 7,500. I liked him last week against the Niners. Um, I just don't see anyone in this Arizona offense that I'm, I'm really itching to play this week. No, Johnson's like a contrarian sort of GPP play at this point. Uh, weird to say that. And it's hard to believe he could be game scripted out of a game. Like we're talking yeah. about David Johnson, like one of the best all round backs in the league. And, and they've just used him in ways running him inside so much makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I kept holding out hope that the coaching staff would get it, but he looks like he is a lot more TD dependent than we'd previously hoped. Uh, 20 and 25 touches the last two weeks though. So the volume has been there. This is just a really difficult setup for him going into Minnesota. Their run defense is much stronger than their past defense. At least it has been to this point. So on the Minnesota side of the ball, um, you know, we can't, we had this point last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was with the bills, you know, we were worried about game script and they got down 21, nothing after four minutes or whatever it was. Um, you know, but this week you, you expect they're going to be ahead. Do you, do you attack the Minnesota pass offense with the thought that, you know, they're going to pass to get ahead and then they'll probably go to Latavius Murray or Dalvin cook later. Uh, how, how are you addressing the Minnesota offense this week? I think with Dalvin cook, if Dalvin cook plays and, they want to back off him a little bit. That wouldn't surprise me. If Delvin Cook doesn't play, you're not going to run quite as much with Murray as you would if Cook were fully healthy. So the passing game makes a lot of sense. Matchup-wise, you know, how do you see the Cardinals handling Diggs and Thielen? Who do you think ends up emerging to be the slightly safer option of the two? Because every week, we come back to this as kind of that 1A, 1B. Yep. And if, if you have a sense of, of one getting a lot of Patrick Peterson then going the other direction absolutely makes sense. But if you think it's going to be a little bit of both, then they're both viable. 
My guess is probably a little bit of both. I mean, the Adam Thielen numbers are crazy. He's the first player to have 100-plus yards in the first five games of the season since the Super Bowl started, so the last, what, 52 years. Um, you know, insane. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. Insane target numbers. 12, 13, 19, 12, and 10 the first five games. So double digits every week and a 19 in there. At least six catches every game. Weird stat, though. The Cardinals have only allowed one touchdown to a receiver all year. Uh, a lot of that's game flow. They've been trailing a lot of games. Do you know who the one touchdown to a receiver is, though? One touchdown allowed to a receiver by the Cardinals. Oh, let's say it's. it's I was gonna. I was gonna throw Tyler Lockett out there, but that's not impossible enough. Uh, Trent Taylor, a touchdown last week for the 49ers, the only uh, only wide receiver touchdown this year. So. They have done well in that regard, but, you know, I think a lot of that, like I said, is game script. I mean, Brandon Cooks had 159 yards on him. Woods had 81. So they, they've given up some production on the on the passing side. Uh, it's just that they've been trailing so much in games they can't score that, you know, teams have been running the ball against them instead. But Thielen and Diggs are so good. Cousins, uh, you know, is over 400 yards twice already. Uh, it's just strictly a game script thing. I mean, if you think that uh, – if you think Arizona can score a couple times, keep them in the game, the passing guys are really interesting. If not, it's probably tough to play Thielen and Diggs over 8,000. I like Josh Rosen long term. I just don't know if with those weapons he's going to have enough success against that Minnesota secondary despite its flaws to keep the Cardinals in this game. So if if Dalvin Cook doesn't play, say he's inactive, you know, Minnesota figures they're going to win this game without him. Do you – and Latavius Murray's 5,600 on FanDuel. Last time we tried this, it was a disaster against the Bills, as we mentioned. He has two games this year where he has uh, some production. Both of those are 11 carries for 42 yards, so not good. Uh, he's been a little bit involved in the passing game. Do you do you go back to this if, if Cook doesn't play? I think you can definitely consider it. I mean, I think the price is low enough. The usage is pretty favorable. Um, Arizona's run defense, you know, for me, it's it's pretty bad. It's 4.1 yards per carry, plenty of touchdowns because the offense leaves them in bad spots. And, you know, short fields bode well for uh, a guy like Murray because they're good for the offense as a whole. So I think I would go back to the well on Latavius Murray. It'd probably be more like, I don't know if I'm building for every three lineups. He's in at least one of them, but probably not more than two of those three lineups. I don't think I'd go crazy with the exposure. Matt Breida was going to kill that that Cardinals defense last week if he didn't get hurt. That was a shame. Matt Breida was going to help me win the uh, Superflex auction part of the pentathlon. Man, that guy, he's getting just crushed this season. He's got something every single week. I'm just glad... Last week's injury wasn't worse because it looked a lot worse when he was helped off the field. It did. He was at eight carries for 56 yards. He had scored a receiving touchdown already. That was that was a letdown. But we talked about tight end earlier. Kyle Rudolph, 6,200 on FanDuel. Uh, I think he's a solid like kind of floor guy, especially in PPR. He has uh, he has five plus catches each of the last four weeks. He's not a big yardage guy. You know they don't use him down the field a ton. But uh, so he probably needs a touchdown to really work out to to be an upside guy at all. But you know, he's someone that I don't have a problem with at 6,200. If you if you like him, uh, I think he's a pretty viable play with with a tight end so sparse this week. Yeah, I, I don't have any any argument against him. I mean, I think his role is pretty clear in that Vikings offense, and that's something you can't say about a lot of the tight ends you have to think about paying up for this week. So the next game is the the Chargers uh, headed east fa- facing the uh, facing the Browns. Chargers are one point favorite on the road, over under 45. Uh, Cleveland defense has been surprisingly been pretty good um, so far this season. The Chargers come in. You got Phillip Rivers at 8,300. He has multiple touchdowns in every single game this year. But uh, at 8,300, I just don't know if I'm attacking the Cleveland defense on the road right now. No, Cleveland's defense is good, right? Yeah. I mean, they've been piling up talent for a few years, and it just it's a unit that's playing well. Um, I, I I agree with you. I don't think messing with 
the Cleveland defense with a heavy dose of the Chargers makes sense at all. This is one of the games where you look at the over-under totals, and I think it could come closer to the under. Uh, we saw what Casey Hayward did to Amari Cooper last week. So, you know, maybe maybe Casey Hayward can slow down Jarvis Landry a bit, and, and that kind of just takes something away from the Cleveland passing game. So it is one of those games that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, and ordinarily the, the Chargers feel really safe to me, but they seem more like a, a GPP long shot than a, a building block offense for this week. Yeah, the one guy I'm kind of interested in at 8,100 is Keenan Allen. Um, hasn't scored or topped 100 yards since week one, but does have between 7 and 11 targets every game. So he's still still super active, just hasn't had that blow-up game since week one, hasn't scored. But wide receiver ones have been really good against the Browns. Uh, your boy Amari Cooper was 8 for 128. Michael Thomas had two touchdowns and 12 catches. Antonio Brown had 93 yards and a touchdown. So if I'm going to go with anybody, I think Keenan Allen at a pretty low percentage this week is kind of an intriguing GPP guy. Yeah, you're very wise. I mean, Melvin Gordon might get a lot less attention than usual this week. Um, How do you see Austin Eckler being used in this matchup? Do you think he kind of loses some of his appeal as well, just based on the way this game could flow? Yeah, I think he's just a little too touchdown dependent. I mean, he scored the last two weeks, but that's on 10 and 7 touches. Um, He's 6,200. He's he's, he's cheap, but he's not dirt, dirt cheap. I just... I think he he has to score a touchdown for him to work, and if he doesn't, you know, in, in Fanduel you only get half point per per catch. So, um, not someone that uh, that I'm going with this week. Uh, you know, he could always work because he's so uh, he's so explosive. But I just don't like guys that are so touchdown dependent on a limited number of touches. Yeah, I'm with you there. This is a tough game from a, a pick standpoint too. I mean, Chargers only favored by one on the road. Um, I'm having a really hard time landing on how I expect that one to play out. So we've, we've talked about tight ends a bunch. Uh, I want to get your feeling this week on David Njoku, 5,500 on FanDuel. Uh, 34 targets on the season, amazingly zero in the red zone. They pretty much just go to Carlos Hyde in the red zone. Uh, but he has 18 targets and 11 catches the last two weeks. He seems like he's really a lot more involved with Baker Mayfield. I think Njoku might slide through at a pretty good percentage this week with everybody going with Braid. He, he's kind of one of my my top um, anti-Cameron Braid if I want to fade him targets this week at 5,500. Yeah. I love that. I mean, the, the two games that Baker Mayfield has started, 18 targets, 11 Oof, catches, yep. 121 yards. Uh, one of those catches already has gone for 20-plus yards. That was the thing that stood out to me with Njoku last year. 32 catches in 16 games, 8 for 20-plus. He has a lot of big playability. I don't think that was really reflected in the efficiency numbers. I think it was kind of lost in poor quarterback play from the Browns a year ago and lost to begin the season as well with Tyrod Taylor under center. Uh, so Njoku absolutely makes sense. I think he's actually cash game worthy in a week like this where so many of those top-end tight ends are unavailable. With how well the Chargers defense played against the Raiders last week, do you can do you consider the Chargers defense at all this week in, in DFS? Uh, the, the the Browns have allowed a lot of sacks. I think they're at uh, 14. They're 21 sacks over the over the first five games, so a ton of sacks. You know, Baker, uh, Baker Mayfield's a rookie. He's played well, but he could uh, be interception-prone. Uh, do you like the Chargers on the road as a defense at all this week? Uh, probably going to slide in a pretty low percentage on the road. Maybe in a tournament, but I, I don't. I, I still think they have some issues. I, I think them shutting out or shutting down the Raiders has more to do with the Raiders being a weird, inconsistent team under Gruden and, and Derek Carr being afraid to throw into tough coverages uh, than it does to say that the Chargers have like fixed their defensive issues. I mean. I think the key for that whole defense for me, like my interest in the Chargers defense, it sees along in in DFS hinges on Joey Bosa being back to bolster that pass rush. He's not traveling with the team to Cleveland this week. So I think that really tempers my interest. 
That's uh, I think that's fair. I was just uh, they, they did look a little bit better against the Raiders, but uh, the Raiders did not play well. And uh, you know, on the road, it's probably a tough one. I think as a low percentage, I think, like I agree with you. I think is in a tournament aspect maybe. Uh, next game, we have the Bears headed to Miami. Super low over under here, forty one and a half. Bears favored by three on the road. There is only one player in this game priced over sixty seven hundred on the entire sl- slate on Fanduel. That's pretty remarkable. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty rare to see things break that way. I mean, Kenyon Drake didn't get a lot of volume, got more than he had the previous two weeks last week, and he scored, so he was you know better. If you threw him out there, you you didn't hate yourself after the fact uh, as a tournament play, but. Do you think they're going to get him even more involved again this week? Do you think Jordan Howard on the Bears side gets heavier use coming out of the bye? Because with that offensive explosion we saw from the Bears in week four against Tampa Bay, Howard was the guy that surprisingly didn't do much. And I thought that was going to be his 2018 coming out party. I'll hit uh, hit the Kenyon Drake part first. He's really interesting. I mean, he was more involved last week, but all in the passing game. He had 11 targets last week, seven catches. He still only had six carries. He had half as many carries as Frank Gore did again last week. So it's a 6,300 on Fandle, so you could see it if they're going to keep using him in the passing game like that. But against the Bears' defense, I just don't think that's a, a spot I'm really going to attack with a guy who had six carries last week. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see maybe the short passing game being really important. You're trying to keep Khalil Mack from ripping Ryan Tannehill's head off, so you want to dump the ball off and get yep. Drake out in space. Um, but Adam Gase has done very little to earn our collective trust uh, just with his decision-making ability. So this is one of those games, like, I don't expect to see it on red zone more than a handful of times. I think the extremely low over-under is pretty accurate here. Uh, I don't know what to make of the Dolphins in particular. I think the Bears are actually pretty good. I mean, if they if they just found a way to keep their foot on the gas and, and run plays similar to what they did in that first couple series against the Packers in Week 1, they might be undefeated right now. Yeah, if they could, they could stop Tannehill from throwing the – Throwing the ball off people and bouncing into the Bengals' hands, that would help also. <laughs> yeah. I, ne- the team never Tannehill. Still uh, still something I'm very much a part of. The uh, the Bears side of this one, though, Allen Robinson still kind of looks safe to me, but the problem is he'll see a lot of Xavier Howard. Like, this week in particular, I might not go down that path. Ordinarily, I just think his floor, because of his targets, is really safe. I'm really kind of looking at this offense, this Bears offense, and it's kind of Jordan Howard at GPP or bust for me as far as using anybody here. Yeah, so you, we talked about you, – you, you asked me about Jordan Howard earlier and I never got there, but he's 6,200 on Fandle, priced really down. You mentioned he wasn't involved in the last game, um, but 11 carries against the against the Bucks. But I saw a quote that said they pretty much uh, were going to use Tariq Cohn because they just thought the Bucks' pasty was so bad that they could attack him that way. Running backs have smoked Miami the last two weeks. Uh, Joe Mixon, 22 for 93 last week. Uh, Sony Michelle and James White, 33 for a buck 56 in week four. Even Marshawn Lynch, or even Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin, 28 for 107 in week three. So I think Jordan Howard, uh, it might be the time to uh, to employ him back. It's risky. It's probably a tournament play. But at 6,200, he's really cheap and he's talented for that price. Uh, I think it might be the week to go to go back to Howard. And I don't think the Dolphins can blow up enough offensively to make Jordan Howard totally irrelevant in the game plan this week. I just don't really think that's something they're capable of against this Bears defense. So that's part of the the added appeal of taking that shot with Jordan Howard this week. We talked about, uh, you know, some of the non-Cameron Brait tight ends. What about uh, Trey Burton? He was quiet early, but he was two for 86 in the last game. Had a couple of catches or both around 40 yards, but only four targets. But, he, you know, 5,800 on Fandle. He's obviously talented. Kind of an interesting play with the tight end issues this week, but I wish we'd seen a little more in terms of volume. 
Yeah, six four five four in targets these first four weeks that they played. Coming off the bye, maybe they try to emphasize him more. GPPs only, I think, on Trey Burton. That target floor has to come up if he's going to become a cash game option at that position, even with all these issues that we're having right now in this particular slate. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think he's an interesting GPP guy also. Um, moving on to the next game, we have Carolina at Washington. You mentioned earlier uh, you might think this is a game that goes over. Washington's fared by one actually at home. Uh, I like Carolina on the road with that. Uh, over-unders 45. Starting on the Carolina side, uh, Cam Newton's 8400 on Fanduel. He's priced way up there, but multiple touchdowns the last three games, nine touchdowns total in that stretch with a couple of rush yards. He's only been over 240 passing yards once on the season. He obviously needs the rush yards to come in, but they usually do. Uh, Washington had been pretty good against the pass, but Drew Brees lit them up last week, 363 and three touchdowns. Uh, how do you feel about Cam uh, going into this week? Like him a lot. Uh, still very cheap on DraftKings. I think he's 6100 over there, so like a that. big, big price break compared to the FanDuel price. With this game not having that 50-plus over-under that a handful of other main slate games have, I think that keeps ownership very reasonable again on Cam Newton. And the ongoing problem I have is deciding if I'm going to stack a receiver with him or if I'm going to go ahead and take that McCaffrey route like I threw out there last week. Is It's possible that... Newton throws three touchdown passes and at least one is a screen or some kind of pass to Christian McCaffrey. And there's also that kind of commanding everything inside the 10 yard line aspect of the offense where if Cam doesn't take it himself, he probably hands it off to Christian McCaffrey for any sort of running situation. So I think you do get kind of a, a unique combination in Carolina because of the way they use Cam and because of the way they use Christian McCaffrey. Uh, McCaffrey is as your cash game building blocks go as long as that price stays in the 8,000s on FanDuel, is he like the safest high-end running back on the board week to week based on that usage? Yeah, I mean, I think it's him or Gurley. It's probably probably a little bit Gurley, but Gurley's even you know, $1,000 more. But he just, the volume just gives him such a nice floor. He's got 20 touches or more in the last three games. This is a good game script, like you said, you know, close game, decent over-under. Uh, Washington hasn't allowed a, a running back over 65 yards this year, but they haven't really faced many heavy run offenses or good running backs. They only have given up 10-plus carries to one guy. It was Last week was Mark Ingram. He had 16-53 and two touchdowns. Just weird that they've, they've faced this uh, this slate of you know non-number one running backs. So it's hard to get a feel of how good or bad their rush defense is. Yeah, there, there are a few interesting scheduled trends like that where you look at a team and you think, oh, okay, maybe they're actually good against the run or good against the pass. And you click through and you see, Oh, they've had one tough matchup, or they haven't yeah. had any yet. I think that's exactly as you described it here with Washington. Uh, I don't fear that front. I don't think they're you know, porous to the point of being terrible. But David Johnson not running all over them in week one was as much Mike McCoy running David Johnson into the middle of the offensive line yep. as it was anything else. And they only gave him 14 touches. Like, that's just madness. The Colts, not a good test. The Packers, you know, potatoes everywhere. Uh, and I thought, you know, the Saints had really no issues doing anything they wanted to do against that Washington defense. So uh, jury's still out for me on on what Washington actually is on that side of the ball. But I have no reason to back away from Christian McCaffrey whatsoever, even as the second or third most expensive back on the board. Yeah, and it's hard. You mentioned Cam kind of stacking with someone. It's hard to figure out. You know, last week, uh, Devin Funches was seven targets. McCaffrey was six. Jarius Wright was six. 
Ian Thomas with six, Curtis Samuel with four, DJ Moore with four. So you talk about spread around. That's about as that's about as much spreading around in the ball as you can see in an offense in this day and age. I mean, it's hard to figure out uh, which receiver you really want to stack with Cam. And you know, Samuel had the touchdown last week, but it was like you know eight broken tackles as he as he fell in the end zone. It was a great play by Samuel. But uh, I think if I go with Cam, I either go with McCaffrey. Although it's always a little scary. That those are guys are really expensive. I might drop down and go with Ian Thomas with six targets last week, but I might actually just play Cam by himself too. And Greg Olson might be back this week, too, yeah, so that adds true. one more wrinkle. And I, I don't know if I trust Olson to be used the way he, he was before the injuries popped up. You know, like the the way he was kind of that default number one receiver before the foot injury last year, I don't know if at his age, coming off the injuries he's had, if he's going to ever be that guy again. I think it's kind of a, a prove-it sort of situation for me with Greg Olson. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ian Thomas, but obviously he's only played if Olson doesn't play. I'm not sure... We're going to see Olsen make it through a game. I'd like to see that before I even think about playing him. I mean, he has, uh, it's, uh, he's expected to return this week. He practiced fully yesterday, but uh, I just, I don't know. It's hard for me to see him. I, I like to see him play, you know, 50, 60 snaps before I even think about using him in DFS. Yeah, I, uh, I I would definitely want to see it before I even take the chance, even in tournaments with Greg Olson. So on the Washington side of the ball, another offense is kind of tough to figure out. They spread it around a lot. Uh, you know, Chris Thompson had eight targets uh, last week, and then he hurt his ribs. He does have seven or more, more targets in three or four games. Maybe he's a he's a PPR flex kind of guy. Maybe at uh, at sixty one hundred Fanduel, he's only a half point PPR. I probably don't play him there, but maybe a maybe a DraftKings PPR guy. Yeah, I, I guess I could see that. I mean, I, I'm just looking at what they're doing with targets right now in this Washington offense, and I I don't feel good about it. I mean. I could see Carolina putting up enough points to where they have to throw a lot. And if they do that, I kind of only expect things to go through Jamison Crowder, but he wasn't practicing Thursday. So no practice Wednesday, no practice Thursday. Definitely in danger of being limited or missing this game if he's not out there for a full practice on Friday. I mean, this is this is the concern I have about this game not getting above the over-under totals that Washington's so banged up that a lot of their key pieces may not be able to play or they might be limited. Yeah, you got all three receivers are questionable right now. But you look at their targets last week, kind of similar to Carolina. Chris Thompson had eight. Maurice Harris had eight. Jamison Crowder had eight. Paul Richardson had five. And then uh, Adrian Peterson had had three also. And Vernon Davis even had three last week. But you know, Jordan Reed last week, uh, I think only uh, only two targets last week. He was really kind of a target guy the first few weeks. He had over four catches and 45-plus yards in the first three games. And it was like completely, like you said, off the radar last week. Uh, I'm not sure what I'd do with him. He's he's pretty fully priced on FanDuel at 6200 uh, kind of hard to trust him after the uh, the lack of targets last week, but you know the talent's there. Yeah, I mean, he'd be under tournament consideration for me at paying up after a bad week. I think they're going to look back at that tape and say, why aren't we using Jordan Reed? We're not so overwhelmingly loaded with talent at wide receiver that we can ignore him in a matchup where we have to throw a lot. So I do like this setup for Jordan Reed, uh, at least as like a high-risk, high-reward sort of play goes. You uh, you have a lot more faith in uh, Jay Gruden doing that than I do. I mean, he's probably not that much smarter than Mike McCarthy, but you know, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's a leap of faith. It hasn't uh, it hasn't been a good Mike McCarthy week anywhere, has it? No, no. It, it, Mike McCarthy's done having good weeks. I think. Yeah, there's uh, there there are a few staunch Packers fans who have uh, defended him. I've seen on Twitter the last couple of years, and and even they uh, were, were kind of starting to uh, move to the uh, the negative side this week. It was uh, it was rough for McCarthy. I don't blame them. That was pathetic. It uh, it really was. So uh, before we get to the next game, a quick read from uh, one of our sponsors, Fantasy Draft. 
Fantasy Draft, where we put players first. Every week on Fantasy Draft, you can play the $100,000 Run and Gun Weekly Feature GPP. Only features a $25 buy-in there. Uh, also exciting on Fantasy Draft, the $500,000 Fantasy Draft Championship. There are weekly qualifiers. It's happening now, and then the final for that, it will be in Week 16. Definitely try and jump in that. Fantasy Draft has super flexible lineup construction, making it easier and more fun to sweat the players you love to watch every Sunday. It's also easier to win on Fantasy Draft. They pay out at least 25% of the field in every single contest. So uh, jump in there for that. Uh, Here's your call to action and a reason to sign up. You sign up now on Fantasy Draft, you will get a free $4 GPP ticket with initial deposit. Just sign up with the referral code ROTOWIRE. Jump over to Fantasy Draft. Check that out. Uh, Some fun contests there to, uh, to play in. Uh, next game, Derek, is one of the ones that I think is kind of uh, one of those ones. You mentioned Carolina-Washington. Uh, we're talking the medium over-unders that might have a little bit of spark to them. Uh, Indianapolis at the Jets, over-under of 45. Jets favored by 2.5, so a nice game script for points with a, with a close game. Uh, on the Colts side of the ball, Andrew Luck, 121 passes attempted the last two weeks. That is bonkers. It's really hard to imagine another week where he throws 60 times, but... <laughs> It, what weaknesses do you see in the Jets defense? And do you feel like the Colts can actually exploit those weaknesses? Like I, the Jets are one of those weird teams that whereas like Washington, I'm kind of assuming they're average or worse defensively. The Jets I keep looking at, maybe it's because Todd Bowles is a defensive coach. And I keep thinking maybe they're average or better. And maybe it won't matter because Andrew Luck, even with the limited short passing game they've been using, maybe he just finds a way to dink and dunk and, and pile up a yardage and, and get the ball downfield. But this is a weird game for a few different reasons, and one big one is just you know the health of the supporting cast for Andrew Luck yet again. Yeah, it sounds like T.Y. Hilton's not going to play. He's doubtful with that hamstring injury. but uh, So that, that brings in Ryan Grant and Chester Rogers, both priced pretty well on FanDuel, 5500 for Grant, 5700 for Rogers. Uh, Grant has 15 targets the last two weeks. He feels like, uh, you know, kind of it could be a PPR play. You know, he's pretty active. But then Chester Rogers. 22 targets last two weeks, 11 and 11, so really well spread out there. Eight catches in each of the last two weeks. You could see him being a pretty good volume PPR guy if they throw the ball a ton again. Yeah, I think my my biggest concern about this game not going over comes from the Jets' offense being inconsistent. And that's, you know, that's why the over-under is where it is. But Robbie Anderson woke up last week in a big way. Anderson's a guy that I really liked back during draft season. He's got good size. He's very fast, has that big playability. We've seen it year in and year out. And he's done it with less quarterback talent than what they have right now with the rookie and Sam Darnold. So this could be the beginning of the Jets starting to click a little bit on that side of the ball. Uh, It was only five targets last week for Anderson, three for 123 to two scores. But you think about Anderson and Nunwa, Blau Powell catching passes out of the backfield. Maybe that's enough for this Jets offense to kind of score at will against the Colts defense. How about, uh, how about Crowell and Bilal Powell with 35 carries for 318 yards last week? That's just totally insane. <laughs> and, and Crowell's a little bit dinged up right now, too. So we'll see uh, what happens Friday. He's got an ankle injury, so he didn't practice on Thursday. Uh, if he's out, Bilal Powell shoots up the list of your kind of like cheap, sure. obvious sorts of plays that suddenly consolidate a big, big share of a, a backload work field. Work, yeah. a, a backfield workload. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Crowell's crazy. I mean, 102 yards week one, 219 yards last week. Then he has 69 yards total in the other three games. Uh, you mentioned he did miss practice on Wednesday. Uh, you know, Sony Michelle had a, had 18 for 98 and a touchdown against the Colts D last week. So they, they were run on last week. Pretty good game script with 
you know, a, a medium over under and, and a close game, but the Jets are favored at home. So you like that for a running back. Uh, I think, I think I, I agree with you. I think Powell becomes really interesting if Crowell does not play, if his injury lingers. It sounds like he will, but uh, that's definitely one to watch as the week goes on because Powell at 5,800 with a lot of work could be super interesting, super fast. Yeah, I, I think he, he's kind of interesting in like tournament settings on DraftKings almost any week because of his pass catching role anyway, because the price is low. But interest goes through the roof if Crowell can't play. So uh, last guy I want to talk about in this game is, is Eric Ebron. You mentioned he's the highest priced tight end on FanDuel 6,500. Uh, you mentioned the 34 injuries that he's dealing with this week. Uh, but huge last week, nine, nine catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns on 15 targets. You look at his targets with Jack Doyle out the last three weeks, 11, 10, and 15. Double-digit targets in each game. He's just a monster of a target guy when, when, when Doyle doesn't play. Uh, like you mentioned, didn't practice on Thursday. That's definitely something to watch. Uh, can you stomach Eric Ebron as the highest-priced tight end with, the, with, the, with that target numbers uh, in mind? Yeah, I mean, it's contextual with, with the, the Kelsey and, and Gronk and Ertz absences with their uh, their primetime games. No Kittle. I, I think he's a top five guy right now at the position, too, with that being a Monday night game. Yep. Uh, and no Jimmy Graham because he's going up against Kittle on Monday night. Doyle missed practice again on Thursday. I think Frank Reich labeled him week to week on that, Wednesday. Week which, to week. Week that, to week is never good. <laughs> week to week on, on Wednesday good. means you're, you're probably out on Sunday. I yeah. mean, like... I, I don't know if they're just being one of those teams that doesn't tell anyone how bad injuries actually are, but Jack Doyle seems to be hurt quite a bit worse than they initially let on. Do you have any interest in the in the Jets' defense at all in this game? I, I see the path for it, but I think part of the, the thing that continues to surprise me with the Colts is that overall they've done a much better job of keeping Andrew Luck upright uh, and maybe taking fewer shots downfield. He's giving him the ball quicker. So they're not they're not that sack machine that they were pre luck shoulder injury. And I think that takes away some of the appeal picking on them. But yeah, kind of like the kind of like we said with the Chargers, a, a tournament consideration, but not necessarily a, a cash staple defense. Yeah, the Jets do have four sacks in three of the last four games. So I do like that a little bit. But like you said, the, the Colts offensive line and how quickly they're getting rid of the ball has definitely changed from past years when Luck you know, used to get beatered, beaten, battered uh, all the time. So I agree with you there. I think it's a, I think it's a more of a tournament play. Uh, you hope for a, a lead in the fourth quarter and Luck makes a, makes a mistake, throws a pick six, that sort of thing. Uh, moving to a game with a with a more interesting over-under. We've had a lot of kind of low games on the slate. Uh, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Cincinnati fared by two and a half at home. Perfect, uh, perfect setup with a with that low over under or low uh, spread was a fifty three point over under. Pittsburgh side of the ball, uh, Ben Roethlisberger on the road. What the heck do you do in such a good game script, but with him on the road? Try not to sweat it too much. Um, <laughs> with, with with Roethlisberger, I think it's it's the easiest way to navigate this is to play the receivers, play James Conner if you feel good about him going up against Cincinnati front. And just steer away from Ben and DFS. Season long is where he's more problematic because it's like him versus your backup or him versus waiver wire guy. And that guy might not be very good or that guy might be a bad. So the interesting thing for me is that the Bengals have not been very good against the run. They're giving up 4.5 yards per carry. It could be another pretty good James Conner week. The only thing I'm worried about is that James Conner is going to get a ton of attention because he was awesome a week ago. Like that's that's always kind of my my fear after a big game is that everybody's chasing that production for a repeat week. And that's kind of what the setup looks like it's going to be for Connor. Yeah, and you talk you talk about price with him. You know, he's priced up to 8,200 on FanDuel this week. He was uh, he was down in the 7,800 range. He's been 
Uh, this is the highest he's been all year. So after the, off that big game, he is priced up. You know, he had two touchdowns last week and 25 touches. Got to like the game script for him, though. If they if they get behind Cincy, they'll dump it off to him a lot. If they get ahead, he'll run the ball a lot. So I do like him. Uh, Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake had, you know, 18 for 109 against the Bengals last week. Uh, seven catches for 69 yards and touchdown for Drake. We talked about that earlier. Christian McCaffrey had 28 for a buck 84 on them in week three. So, yeah, you mentioned their run D is struggled a little bit. But on the pass D side... Really weird. They've allowed 300-plus and 2-plus touchdowns in three of the five weeks. And the other two, they've allowed under 200 passing yards. So it's been kind of boomer bust for their pass defense. Yeah, and I think their defense looked pretty good at the beginning of that Thursday night game. Was it way back in week two when they played the Ravens? And then the game script kind of flipped in a way where yeah. the Ravens were throwing the ball a lot. Maybe that shaped how the the final output actually looked in that game. And, and that kind of is misleading, too. So... I don't know what to make of Cincinnati's defense entirely, but I do think this game can live up to its expectations, even with Ben being on the road. Yeah, those are multi-year splits, and they're they're real in the sense that uh, they're they're close enough to being like a long-term thing to to account for them. But it's easy to kind of overestimate the impact in a situation where the matchup might negate a lot of that. So you mentioned, uh, you know, maybe look at the receivers. Uh, I love Juju Smith-Schuster this week. Probably my favorite wide receiver on FanDuel. He's 7,800, priced a little bit down from last week. He's slowed down the last couple of weeks. He only has 94 yards total last week. So he did have a really good t- touchdown catch in the back of the end zone last week uh, against the Falcons. Only four targets last week. It seemed like they were really making it a focus on feeding Antonio Brown last week. But he had double digits three weeks before that. I really like him in a bounce back spot. I think he'll be, uh, he won't be under the radar because this game has a high over under, but I think with people going to, uh, with Julio Jones and Mike Evans in that game, a lot of Antonio Brown in this game, a lot of AJ Green in this game. I think Juju at the price is priced high enough where he, uh, he, you know, not, won't be super high percentage, but low enough where I really like him this week. He's probably my favorite receiver on the slate this week. Are you thinking like 15% ownership? I mean, like, Owned, but not so much that it, yeah. it, it's crazy chalky. I would, uh, I'd probably take the under on fifteen percent, but you know, it definitely in double digits. But I think uh, there's enough action around him. Uh, you still, you still have Thielen and Diggs that people like there, and they kind of a similar range. Uh, I just think there's enough in the Julio, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, AJ Green love that you're going to have to drop down lower than seventeen hundred for your second or third guy. Um, I really like Juju this week. I think the targets come back. I think they made a point of targeting Antonio Brown last week. He'd been complaining about targets a little bit. Uh, you know, he has 24 targets the last two weeks, so he's been really involved. He'll still be involved, but uh, I think Juju this week uh, at a lower percentage than he was last week is going to be super nice. Yeah, I, I keep looking at, at the top of the board, and I think the Julio ownership rate is going to be crazy high. He's probably going to mm-hmm. lead the position this week, being 8,500, going up against that Tampa defense, which sure. has allowed seven yards per play this season. Like, that is <laughs> Um, seven a play like how it's how hard, can you be that bad it's hard to get off the field when you're giving up seven yards a play yeah i mean <laughs> you, you get off the field just by letting their team score at seven yards a play that's about it yeah uh what about antonio brown 9100 finally had that huge game last week against the falcons six catches for 101 and two touchdowns he scored in four or five weeks uh julio jones had 173 yards on these guys two weeks ago 24 targets last two weeks but 9100 that's 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 a that's a high price tag it's like the same problem every week with Brown and Todd Gurley, where you, you expect the usage to be fine. The matchup generally doesn't steer you away, but it just comes down to, are there enough cheaper options that you feel are just as good as you know, the $8,000 receivers to offset the cost? Can you yeah. find $7,000 receivers that you like? You mentioned Juju at 7800 Are there other guys a little cheaper than Juju that you think are going to be close to 
the Evans and the and the Julios that people are overlooking to offset that premium to get Antonio Brown. Like I'd I'd like to do it, but if I'm just being completely honest about how many lineups I'll have this week and what my plans are, I don't think I'll have enough lineups to use him, even though I don't have a good case to not use him. It's tough on FanDuel in that range this week. We, there's only five receivers between seven and 8,000 on FanDuel this week. It's Juju at 7,800. Uh, Cooks and T.Y. Hilton might not play. Will Fuller's questionable with a hamstring. And Robert Woods, who he could be a really nice play at 7,300. But you've only got five guys in the seven to 8,000 range on FanDuel. So it's, it's, it's a lot of up and down this week uh, if you want to go on receiver. And then some of the cheaper guys, I mean, we talked about Allen Robinson earlier. Like seeing a lot of Xavier and Howard might take away some of the interest there. Amari Cooper, if, you, if you're buying in for a bounce back this week, he's 6,400. I shouldn't be allowed to recommend Amari Cooper, though, after my display <laughs> last week, so probably can't do that. Uh, Doug Baldwin at 6,200 is appealing, but he's become pretty risky. Like that, That's just not that's not the lock that anybody would have thought. Like, if Doug Baldwin were doing Doug Baldwin things, he'd be in that 7,500 to $8,000 range. He wouldn't be in the low 6,000s. But I think if you're, if you're getting Brown you're almost using him in tournaments only because of the lack of cash game stability, at least on FanDuel, to fill out the rest of your receiver spots. Yeah, if we get a situation where, you know, Crowell doesn't play and Freeman doesn't play, suddenly you can you can cheapen up a lot at running back and it probably works, but you probably need a couple things to go right injury-wise the next couple of days to, to be able to use them. You know, I mentioned him earlier. Jarvis Landry draws Casey Hayward, at least what I assume will be a, a good dose of Casey Hayward this week. Do you think Landry as just more of a, I guess, a underneath sort of player can can do better in that matchup can can kind of get by because he's under 7k again 6900 is a very affordable price on Landry and the ownership estimator on Rotowire is 7% which I feel like is really appealing if it actually comes in that low yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like a situation where the Chargers got ahead in that game and, and Mayfield's got to throw the ball. But he has 20 targets the last two weeks, so you know he's been really active with Baker. He hasn't really done a lot. He had that one play where he, you know, almost scored the first game that Mayfield came in. I think it was against the Jets. Uh, but yeah, I like the activity. I like the 20 targets. I think under 7,000. I, I have no problem with that play. But I, if I did it, I would hope that the Chargers got out to an early lead. Yeah. So that's the that's the tricky part because if you buy into the Browns defense being good enough to keep that from happening, your setup for Landry is not quite what you want it to be to take that discount and take that risk of him seeing a lot of Hayward. Yeah, that's uh, that is that is a good point there. Uh, Cincinnati side of this game, uh, Andy Dalton, seventy five hundred on Fanduel, obviously a great matchup, uh, great game script with the with the low spread plus the big over under. He has multiple TDs in the in the first four games. He looked quiet last week against Miami, two forty eight and one touchdown. But this Pittsburgh pasty has been thrashed. 11 touchdowns in three weeks before last week. They played pretty well against Matt Ryan last week. They pressured him. They were able to get him to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, 285 yards to Ryan, only one touchdown. A lot of that was late, too. A lot of the Julio uh, production was late. Uh, what do you think about Dalton this week going against the defense that had previously been thrashed, maybe showed a little bit of a heartbeat last week? Yeah, Dalton's pretty reasonably priced. 7,500 is kind of like middle of the pack on FanDuel, so I don't have any hesitation to do it there. Is he a cash game guy for me? Maybe because of the matchup. Uh, I think with Tyler Boyd kind of emerging to be a legitimately good number two receiver opposite A.J. Green, you just feel better about the weapons that Andy Dalton has at his disposal. Plus, with Jim, uh, with Joe Mixon being healthy, you know, even though handing the ball off takes the ball out of Dalton's hands, it makes the offense more efficient. Like I think that's that's the kind of boost Mixon actually provides right now here in this Bengals backfield. So. Dalton's probably like a third or fourth option for me in cash games, and I don't play several cash lineups. I generally just play like one. 
Um, so he's he's close. I mean, is is Dalton though kind of sneaky in tournaments? Because if you look at him on FanDuel, Jameis Winston, who everybody's going to want against the Atlanta defense, yep. is a hundred bucks less. And at that same price point, I just think seven or eight people looking at that toss up are always going to go towards Winston. Like eighty percent of people that look at that toss up, if not more, will choose Winston against the Falcons as opposed to Dalton at home against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think that uh, Winston's going to be at least you know triple or quadruple the Dalton ownership, so that makes Dalton interesting. I, I think that if you do Dalton, you got to pair him with a receiver and pick right. Uh, we talked about finding cheap receivers. Tyler Boyd's still only sixty three hundred on Fanduel. He was quiet last week, four catches, forty four yards against the Dolphins, but did see seven targets. He has seven targets each of his last four games, and like we've said, the Steelers' pasty has gotten lit up pretty good. You know, I think a lot of people like AJ Green eighty eight hundred, but that's really expensive. He has he's done really well against the Steelers at home. He has four touchdowns the last three games in Cincinnati against the Steelers. He will see some Joe Hayden. But, uh, you know, we talked about Pittsburgh Pasty, uh, eight touchdowns to wide receivers, seven seven guys that have gone over 70 yards in five weeks. I think if I'm going to go somewhere here, I think I'm going to go Tyler Boyd for $2,500 less, though. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a Dalton-Boyd stack would open up a lot of interesting things at the top if you want to pay up for Antonio Brown on the other side. If you're looking to maybe go Adam Thielen at slightly lower ownership rates than Brown and Jones and, and Mike Evans, like that could be a path you go down to. So. Uh, the the idea of going Dalton Boyd is pretty appealing if you want to get big exposure to this game at a very affordable price. You mentioned Joe Mixon real quick. He's seventy five hundred on Fanduel. Uh, the the, Pit, the Pittsburgh Rundy has actually been pretty good. No one has gone over seventy five yards rushing on them. They've only allowed two rushing touchdowns. It sounds like Gio Bernard's going to be out again. And you know Mixon got twenty five touches out the gate last week with uh, with Gio out. Uh, how do you feel about Joe Mixon? Kind of in that medium price range at seventy five hundred on Fanduel. Really good. I mean, they said they were going to ease him back in, but they they didn't. And yep. I just think he's he's looked so good overall to begin this season when he's been out there. Uh, I I think he's fine. Seventy five hundred. He's gonna he's gonna be very heavily owned. Optimizers like him. Value reports like him. People just looking at the price list like him. I mean, there's every every path to Joe Mixon is very clear this week, and uh, it's just a matter of how much exposure you're going to want to have in tournaments because I think he's going to be among the highest owned players at his position. So we move on to the uh, next game. We kind of hit it a little bit. We were talking about this one. Uh, Tampa Bay at Atlanta, over under a 57.5. Atlanta's a 3.5-point favorite at home. Starting with the uh, the road side, starting with the Buccaneers, uh, Falcons defense allowed 37 or more points in the last three games. That's uh, that's pretty wild, no matter how much the NFL's opened up. Yeah, I'm just trying to want, like trying to figure out, can Jameis Winston end that? Is, is he capable of, <laughs> of whiffing hard enough to just suddenly make Atlanta have a, a passable defensive performance. I mean, a Jameis Winston whiff would still be the Bucks scoring like 27 points and losing, which is is really not bad. Yeah, I mean, this Atlanta defense, you know, we, we make fun of them, but they've been really beat up with injuries. They've lost both their safeties that we mentioned. Uh, they lost Deion Jones. They lost Keanu Neal. Uh, just a ton of injuries. You know, Jameis came in uh, last game. They had the bye last week. We came in week four when Fitzpatrick was struggling. He was 16-20 for a buck 45, so pretty efficient against the a, a tough Bears defense. The bye helps him, I think. Uh, you know, a week of practice, uh, you know, kind of setting settling himself in with the receivers helps a lot. 7,400 on Fandle. He's going to be high percentage. Um I don't, I don't dislike him, and you know the matchup's so good, but I don't love him so much at the percentage. I still worry enough about the player and his ability to avoid critical mistakes to not look at this as a lock. Like in season-long leagues, sure, he's probably a better play than most of your like one A, one B, or right. QB two options. But choosing him out of the pool of everybody, 
especially when you know in tournaments on FanDuel that price is going to pull a lot of people in. I, I don't think I'm going to have a Winston lineup this week. But again, that comes down to how much I play. Like if I were a 10-plus lineup person, then I would have a Jameis Winston lineup. I just think there are other ways to go, and my goals as far as like bringing down a tournament are going to be to go ahead and, and look elsewhere at the quarterback spot this week. So, yeah, I mean, I think he'll be fine, but I, I see enough paths for it to go wrong where I don't see Winston as the lock that some other people do. So if you don't go from Winston, I think you still have to look at his wide receivers. I'm still gonna, you know, Atlanta's still been thrashed through the air. They've given up three touchdowns each of the last in three of the last or each of the last four weeks, actually. 330 yards in three of those four. Uh, Mike Evans is eight thousand, so he's a little he's, he's definitely less than the Antonio Brown, AJ Green, Adam Thielen range. Uh, at least six catches in all four games. He has eighty plus yards and a touchdown in three of those four. Atlanta's allowed 10 touchdowns to wide receivers and 300-yard receivers in five weeks. So they've been just getting killed on the back end. Uh, how do you feel about Mike Evans? Is he one of your favorite receivers at 8,000? Yeah, absolutely. And my biggest dilemma, I think, is you know if I'm going to go with one of the other guys in, in tournaments, do I like Deshaun Jackson or do I like Chris Godwin? I think the way they've been distributing targets, the edge for me has to be Jackson, even though there were times last year where it just seemed like he was not on the same page with Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, he has he has three touchdowns already. He's over 100 yards in three or four games. I just don't know how much of that is him and Fitzpatrick gel well, and, you know, Fitz really kind of lays it out there for him to run it under, or how much is D-Jack is actually healthy and kind of, uh, you know, in tune this year. It's hard to figure out, uh, you know, what part of that is, is which with uh, with D-Jack. But 6,500 on FanDuel, obviously a, a tournament guy. He's got a ton of upside. He can he can break any play. But uh, I just don't know about him and Jameis together. I haven't, I haven't figured out if I'm comfortable with that. It's a fair question to ask because there was plenty of evidence last year that something was amiss. Now, if he's got it turned a corner and he's going to get him eight or plus eight plus targets this week, then yeah, it's great. But uh, I think it's it's very interesting in tournaments. I don't think it's at all cash game safe the way I see. It. So with uh, we'll hit the Cameron Bright issue now. You know, if if OJ Howard doesn't play, uh, what percentage do you think Cameron Bright ends up being? 25 to 30. Yeah, I think that's probably a probably pretty pretty fair guess. But it, with, with at 4,500 and with the tight ends that are out this week, uh, he clicks well with Jameis. You know, he's done that in the past. He's he's been more involved the last couple games. Uh, he had three catches each of the last couple games and a touchdown. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be crazy high percentage. It's just at 4,500, I don't know if I trust the player enough to really go in and eat that chalk. Only 3,700 on DraftKings too, Oof, so wow. very cheap on both sites. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, like, I, I I think the the Njoku call you made earlier is probably the smartest alternative, and it's going to cost you a little more to go that route on FanDuel on DraftKings. Njoku's a hundred more; he's thirty eight hundred, so there could be a, a decent amount of Njoku chuck uh, on DraftKings. But I think on FanDuel, you know, going a thousand extra to Njoku, it's it's not as much of a pivot from from Bray as it is just kind of a completely different build, having to spend up that much more. Yeah, and I, I actually kind of like that. I like that uh, 5,500, it kind of makes people think about it. And I think everybody's going to go in there, see Braid at 4,500, just kind of click that as a kind of an auto spot. I think that uh, it's going to be high percentage, and it might work. He might see a lot of uh, a lot of targets if Howard doesn't play, but I just don't know if I love Cameron Braid enough to, to take that. The other thing, too, we didn't really bring him up in the Steelers-Bengals matchup. Vance McDonald let us down last week. Ugh. He's still 4,600 on FanDuel, Ugh. 100 bucks more than Braid. If Howard's ruled out and everyone's going to be on break, do you kind of go back to Vance McDonald, or do you think that's what a lot of people are going to do because of the over/under total in that matchup? 
I think there'll be people trying to get some Vance McDonald kind of a, you know, uh, they, they need uh, some revenge for last week. But the thing that was weird last week was that he and Jesse James were kind of splitting routes run again. You know, they were, it was, it was all Vance the week before and he was running all the routes. And then last week it was about him and Jesse James were kind of even, you know, I'm watching that game and all of a sudden, you know, James is making plays and out there getting, getting targets. I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on? McDonald had one catch for six yards. I think Vance McDonald is just so big play dependent that he, he's strictly only a tournament guy for me. That's fair. I uh, I wish they would really consolidate how they use those two players and, yeah. and let McDonald just be the guy. But uh, it, it's not totally unlike the Tampa Bay situation when O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait were sharing more last year. But it just seems like their their M.O. maybe it was because of Fitzpatrick was different to begin the season. And if Howard plays, I don't know what to expect as far as the distribution between Howard and Brait in the Tampa Bay offense now that Winston is starting again. Yeah, if, if if Howard plays, I'm just going to avoid both of them. I think that still a lot of people will still go with Braid at the price because of how well he clicked with Jameis last year. Um, but if Howard plays, I'm just going to I'm going to wait a game and see how that plays out and, and go with Njoku or maybe Kyle Rudolph or some of the other options that are a little more expensive. I'm with you on that. So the other side of this game, obviously huge over under 57 and a half. We mentioned that is the is the Falcons. Uh, obviously, the Tampa Bay defense has been brutal. They've given up, uh, I think, 330 or plus yards to every quarterback so far this year. Matt Ryan is 8,300. Uh, Tampa Bay is 32nd in the league. That's dead last in opponent uh, yards per, per yards per attempt and also in yards per game. They get up 370 yards per game passing. Great game script. Uh, he was a little bit quiet last week against the Steelers. They struggled against that defense a little bit, but 13 touchdowns total the last four weeks. Uh, what do you do with Matt Ryan and Julio this week? Are you are you on board that Julio's finally going to score a touchdown? <sighs> he he really should, and you know, for cash games, great. For tournaments, I'm kind of tempted to fade here. It, it it seems too obvious, and and the variable that's something you've brought up a couple times is that Matt Ryan has looked bad on a couple of occasions. Last yes. week being one, and week one against the Eagles, he just looked weird. Like his arm strength looked kind of off, and he just wasn't making some of the throws you would expect him to make. And as easy as Tampa Bay has made it. For a lot of opponents this year, in tournaments, I think either limited, very limited exposure to Ryan or even a full-on fade isn't necessarily a bad idea because there are some other paths to similar output with a few other games being up over 50 at that over-under total. Do you put anything into the fact that uh, Ryan's struggles have been in uh, road games? Yeah, I think that could have something to do with it. I mean conditions didn't seem bad though in week one so it wasn't like heavy winds and nasty rain against the eagles had anything to do with uh, why he didn't play well in that particular spot but uh i mean it's it's just such an obvious thing that sometimes the obvious chalk pays and this just seems like one where especially on FanDuel, you're not getting any sort of, of discount 8300 makes matt ryan the third most expensive quarterback on the slate and i think it's going to hurt you a lot at other positions to build your lineups around him, especially with Julio. Yeah, my my feeling on this game is probably to go with uh, with Julio and then you know a different wide receiver quarterback stack, but play Julio. I like I like Julio and I like to go either Julio and Juju or Mike Evans and Juju. I really like to get two of those guys in my lineups at wide receiver this week. But I kind of agree with you on Ryan. I just don't like how he's looked. I, I think I we talked about it on Twitter earlier in the, earlier this week, but. In that game last week, he just, again, made a lot of weird throws. He kind of looked back to week one, a lot of air under balls that shouldn't have been there. and doesn't have that – I haven't seen that zip that uh, we kind of expect from him. And a lot of Julio's work last week, he had 62 yards, but it was quiet. It was late in the game. It was in garbage time. They're getting killed by the Steelers. Still had nine targets, but he's now at 62 catches without a TD. But 
Every wide receiver wanted to score against the, the Bucks this year. Allen Robinson, Antonio Brown, Nelson Aguilar, and Michael Thomas. They've allowed six double-digit fantasy point wide receivers already in the first four weeks. They had a bye last week, so they only played four games. It's hard to think that Julio doesn't go crazy this week, but uh, you know he had a, he had a 253-yard game against them last year. Wow, that's that's pretty nuts. Uh, I think I'd rather go like Cam if I'm going to pay up on FanDuel, but I'd rather save like 800 bucks or 700 bucks and and go with Russell Wilson going up against the Raiders in London. Like that's one of those tournament quarterbacks that I, I think is going to fly under the radar this week because everyone's so down on Seattle, but the Raiders cannot get pressure. On quarterbacks, like they they have no pass rush, so Seattle's crappy offensive line and stupid offensive coordinator should not matter really at all this week in that matchup. Yeah, Seattle Oakland's actually my next game, so that was a, that was a good segue. But real quick on the on the Falcons before we go there, um, if if Devontae Freeman doesn't play, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Do you go do you go Tevin Coleman pretty automatically at sixty three hundred? Yeah, it's a lot like the Yeldon situation last week, based yep. on the matchup, based on the expected touches where. Find other ways to differentiate your lineup. Don't get cute trying to fade that. There's not so much, uh, so many obvious cheap running back plays to save money that you can afford to really go away from it. So I would, I would definitely play Coleman pretty much everywhere that I'm setting a lineup if, uh, if Freeman's ruled out. If you were to drop down from Julio to one of the other receivers to get a piece of this high over under, do you prefer Calvin Ridley at 6700 or Muhammad Snu at 5800? Hmm, that's a great question. I I think I'd go back to Sanu again at 5,800, free up the extra cash, get probably a, a little bit lighter ownership. They're both going to be pretty heavily involved. Seven, nine, and seven these last three weeks for the yep. Sanu targets. So uh, I don't think you're, you're really giving up a lot there in terms of opportunities by paying down. Yeah, I think Sanu is an interesting and viable cash play. I think the targets kind of give him a pretty good floor. And then Ridley's probably more the tournament guy. Uh, only 11 targets the last two weeks, but he tends to. He has a, a penchant for getting in the end zone already this season. So I think he's more of an upside play, and Snoo's kind of your uh, your more PPR cash game kind of guy. Agreed. Five of the 19 catches that Kelvin Ridley's pulled in already this year have gone for 20-plus yards. So lots of big playability there. It kind of feels like uh, the Will Fuller of early last year. Yeah, no, I think that's a great comp. Uh, what about last guy I want to mention, just because this game is such a high over-under if you want a piece of it. Austin Hooper, uh, he's priced up a little bit because of the lack of tight ends this week. He's 5,600. If you want a cheap piece of this game, though, he did have 12 targets last week. He had nine catches for 77 yards, but I wonder how much of that was game script dependent. They were behind the Steelers. He only had two targets the week before that, only had 15 targets total the first four weeks. He feels like a guy that, uh, you know, could be like eight for 60 in a touchdown or one for nine. So he feels like a very much of a tournament play to me. Yeah, 5,600 on FanDuel. So you're, you're paying a, a decent bit for a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but that's that's kind of the state of the position as a whole. Uh, if you were looking at him versus Burton, I think splitting up Hooper and Burton shares over your tournament lineups would probably be a pretty logical way to go. But David Njoku, priced in that same range, is a guy that I actually feel like has a slightly higher floor. So I, I tend to prefer Njoku out of that trio. And if you said set 10, I'd say probably five or six Njoku lineups, maybe two each of Burton and Hooper. Yeah, that that was my issue with Hooper is that I just like I like Burton and Joku more, and I think I don't play you know I don't play 150 lineups, so I'm probably not going to have much Hooper. But if you do want a piece of that game, he's someone that probably is not high percentage at 5600. You could probably get a pretty good piece of that game if it does blow up at that over under. Uh, you mentioned the London game. Uh, Seattle is at Oakland, technically a home game for the Raiders, but it is in London. Uh, over unders are pretty good in this game. It's 48 and a half. One of those games that you know not part of the big three over unders, but uh, not in the in the lower ones. Seattle's fared by three. 
Uh, you mentioned Russell Wilson. I talked to someone about him Sunday morning last week, and they were using him against the Rams. I didn't, really didn't like the play. I didn't like it against the Rams defense. I didn't like how Wilson looked. But about halfway through that game, I, t- I texted my buddy. I'm like, yeah, I was wrong. You were right. He looks. He actually looks like old Russell Wilson. Uh, he was throwing the ball well. He was moving around the pocket. He's not really a runner anymore. He only has 38 yards rushing the last four weeks combined. But the Raiders have allowed seven pass touchdowns the last three weeks, an average of over 300 yards. Uh, you mentioned him as kind of a uh, you know a guy to a pivot to some of these other popular high over under quarterbacks, and I wasn't on board a couple weeks ago, but I'm maybe starting to get back on board with Russell. I love when everybody gives up on Russell Wilson because yep. the talent is always there, like his ability to move, throw on the move, and to do that with accuracy and a ton of arm strength is it still stands out to me. They faced a lot of good fronts: Denver, Chicago, Dallas, Arizona, and then the Rams. Teams that can get pressure, and for a bad offensive line, for a team that has a dumb offensive coordinator that presents a lot of issues, <laughs> but the Raiders just don't present that same sort of threat. They've been vulnerable to shootouts throughout this season. I think this is an outstanding week for Russell Wilson, and I just think with all the attention that's going to go to Jameis at that same price or similar price, it's such an easy path for me to build my first tournament lineup of the week around Russell Wilson and a discounted Doug Baldwin and have so much extra cash for whatever else I want throughout that lineup. Do you worry about the way the Seahawks have run the offense? Uh, Wilson has 26 or fewer attempts in the last three games, really low in this modern NFL. Um, it doesn't run anymore. Are you worried that they just have, have moved towards a, a bit of a you know mash Chris Carson and Mike Davis run offense and not as much through the air with Russell? It's definitely a concern, and that's it's it's what's opening up the possibility of this being a low owned play that For goes sure. crazy and helps you win a tournament. Yeah. So, it, it's it's priced in. Um, I, I'm fully acknowledging that there is plenty of risk here, but I mean, you look at the the game log. He's got multi touchdown passing performances in four of the first five games. I think we see two or three more this week, and I think we might actually get it with his season high in attempts because the Seahawks shouldn't have any reason to fear trying to throw against the Raiders. They're not subjecting Russell Wilson to any sort of extra danger with that Raiders pass rush. It's funny. You mentioned the multiple touchdowns of four or five weeks. I feel like I would have guessed wrong on that. It feels like the, the Russell Wilson um, discussion has been pretty negative this year, and it's 7,600 on FanDuel. I think, uh, I think you're winning me over. I think it's a pretty good call at a percentage that's going to slide through pretty low. So if anyone wants to fade any one thing I said, fade that so Russell Wilson is as low-owned as possible. <laughs> So if you do play Wilson, do you do you you mentioned Doug Baldwin sixty two hundred? Uh, there's also Tyler Lockett at sixty six hundred. Do you have a preference on which one you pair him up with? I'm inclined from the tournament perspective to just keep going and and saying that hey, I'm I'm trying something different. I'm going to Doug Baldwin. He went full Amari Cooper last week. I mean, one catch, one yard, one target. Like that's <laughs> that's that's the line that Amari Cooper invented. So. I'm looking back at week four, five for 41, seven targets. If you're concerned that Doug Baldwin is playing hurt, then go ahead. Go to Lockett. He gets enough targets, and I think he's going to be low-owned enough where it, it's absolutely fine. Uh, but I think Baldwin somehow is even more contrarian, even though like his track record's so good. Yeah, slot receivers have done well against Oakland this year. Allen, Keenan Allen had 90 yards last week. Jarvis Landry scored the week before that. Emmanuel Sanders had 96 yards. Cooper Cup had 50 yards and a touchdown. So it has been a good spot to attack the Oakland defense. Lockett's interesting. You know, he's a he's a big play boomer bust guy. He's uh, you know, they, he scored in four or five games. The Raiders do get up long touchdown passes. 
Uh, they do take shots to him. I think they will take a couple. It's just a matter if they hit. You know, you could get a pass interference. You could get an overthrow. But uh, I think you're going to have a couple plays that, uh, that Tyler Lockett's going to be able to uh, to really make his statement on this game. Yeah, he's getting 12.4 yards per target this season. Ooh, Only 28 nice. targets, but they are, they are getting mileage out of Tyler Lockett when they throw it in his direction. But, I mean, it's possible. If I, if I play two different Wilson lineups, maybe I'll run one Wilson Lockett and run one Wilson Baldwin just to just to have both combos. What about uh, what about the run game here? Chris Carson uh, played uh, missed week four, but played week three and five over 100 yards in each game. I think that uh, pretty surprising how much they've given him the ball the last couple weeks. He had 32 carries against Dallas, then 19 against the Rams. Uh, on a lineup where you don't go with Wilson, any interest in Carson at 6,400 on FanDuel? I keep getting totally duped by this running game. Uh, at <laughs> yeah. this point, if I were going to play somebody, it'd be Carson, but I'm not playing playing either one of them this week. Uh, on the Oakland side of the ball, uh, Derek Carr's only had he had that one blow up game against Cleveland. He had, uh, but he only has three touchdown passes combined over the other four games. Are you doing much with this uh, with this Raiders offense? If you think Seattle does well and this turns into a shootout, uh, kind of what do you attack on the Raiders maybe to get another side of this uh, this game? I think the the best angle would be Cooper. I, I think throwing Carr out there is a little bit reckless. I think Cooper, even though he made me look so dumb last week can do much more in this matchup than he did against the Chargers and against the Dolphins and against the Rams, where he had a combined four catches on all of nine targets in those three games. We've seen two big games from him when he gets volume. I don't know if there's a a DB that Seattle can put on Amari Cooper that will lead Derek Carr to just completely ignore him the way he has at times this season. Uh, So I think this is a spot where I'm going back to the well with Amari Cooper one last time probably GPP only because of that high-risk, high-reward game log we've seen to this point. But I, I think this setup's a pretty good one. Any uh, Marshawn Lynch revenge game narrative interest? I I think I have to have at least a little a little bit of that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have multiple pieces of the Raiders lineup in one lineup, of course, but um, I, I understand why people would do it. I don't know if I'm doing it myself, though. So uh, next game is Buffalo at Houston. Houston's a big favorite, nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Over-under this game is really low. It's only 41. I don't know if I mentioned that one earlier or not. Uh, the Bills have 609 net yet net passing yards through five weeks, lowest in the NFL since 2008. Wow. Um, if there's a play here, it's it's McCoy based on the volume. and, and- Flip there, but uh, Derek, you were talking about uh, LaShawn McCoy, kind of the only guy on this side of the ball that you'd be remotely interested in. I'm not at all. I think it's going to be a bad game script. I don't like Buffalo's offense at all. I think that Houston takes a pretty big lead here. Uh, so while McCoy might be the only guy, I, I think I'm going to have him pretty much nowhere. And maybe because of the banged-up state of the Houston backs, you could make a case for like Hopkins and Watson or uh, some some Watson-receiver combo end up ending up being good because they have to put their points up that way. But this is a game that's very easy to ignore this week with so many other more interesting matchups on the slate. Yeah, Watson does have 300-plus yards passing and 30 yards rushing in four straight games. And DeAndre Hopkins is crazy. He's he's scored or been over 70 yards in every single game since the start of last season. That is impressive, especially when Watson got hurt last year. That is very impressive. Yeah, He does have uh, Tredavious White. The Bills cornerback is really good. Should be on him a lot. With the, with some of that action on, on Hopkins getting Tredavious White, do you have any, any interest in Will Fuller or Kiki Kuti this week? I think Fuller would be the guy if I'm going to go down that path, and it'd probably be mostly in lineups where I'm looking to squeeze in Deshaun Watson. I don't know if I, Fuller maybe as a, a standalone play happens in one lineup, but nothing crazy. 
Yeah, I kind of like QT a little bit. He's questionable, but if he does play, he's 5,700 on Fandle. He has 22 targets the last two weeks. Um, I think Will Fuller at 7,300 is a little pricey for me considering that I think this game flow is going to go against the passing game in the second half. Yeah, unless you're just fading Houston's ability to run the ball at all, you have to look at that balance as something that could be just kind of ugly. So the one one o'clock game I do want to discuss a little bit is the Rams at Denver. Overrunners fifty two and a half. Rams are minus seven. Obviously, the Rams are the the bulk part of that over under. Uh, how do you feel about this game? I mean, the Rams have just been thrashed on on the ground the last couple of weeks. The twenty five uh, to three or thirty five to three eighteen to Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell last week. Kareem Hunt had one hundred twenty one yards in them the week before. Uh, what do you do with the Rams offense this week? Obviously, Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup are both questionable. They did not practice on Wednesday. They're in the concussion protocol. That obviously affects a lot of what I do with this game. I'm not going to play Jared Goff. Those those guys aren't playing. But what about Todd Gurley? Knowing those running stats against the Broncos last couple weeks, he's 9,500 on FanDuel. Uh, What do you do with Gurley this week? How do you attack him in in tournaments or cash? I think it's got to be mostly tournaments because you're taking so many risks to get the salary relief needed to fit him into your lineups. Even though Gurley obviously is a cash game play, there's just not enough easy paths to get there. Uh, that you feel good about for cash-type lineups. This is just a messed-up game because if the Rams are missing receivers, you'd expect things to be even more heavily run through Gurley. And even if Cup or Cooks or both are out there, Gurley's still pretty intriguing. Where I get tripped up is figuring out if the Denver offense could do anything against that Rams defense. I hate what they're doing with the running backs right now with Lindsey and Freeman sharing. Seems like Sanders is the pass catcher you can trust the most. Demarius Thomas has been... More bad than good or more disappointing uh, often than not uh, out of those two receivers. So it's kind of a messy game going back the other way with Denver's offense, too. If uh, if Cooks and Cup don't play, do you uh, do you move over to Josh Reynolds at all at, all at 5,100? Uh, he played 36 snaps with three targets last week after the other two guys got injured. He was a fourth rounder out of Texas A&M last, uh, last year, so they do like him. Uh, 5,100 is kind of in the mix if those two guys t- sit. Yeah, if both are out, Reynolds is playable, and then he's one of those guys that opens up salary for some of those more expensive building blocks we've talked about throughout this episode. If you uh, if they're out, uh, how much uh, how much exposure do you have to Robert Woods at seventy three hundred as the, as the number one guy? I would expect him to see a lot of Chris Harris, so that that might actually temper my expectations a bit. Whereas if everybody's out there, Woods might be the sneaky guy that ends up being the best of the trio. I still feel like we're going to get a huge yardage game out of Todd Gurley this week. Uh, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't. He said scored a lot of touchdowns, which have you know made him a huge fancy guy. He's been a top ten running back every single week. But you know, seventeen for eighty three two weeks ago, twenty two for seventy seven last week. He hasn't really gotten loose in the run game. I just worry that if you could get a you know twenty three carry, hundred fifty yard, two touchdown, six catch game out of Gurley, uh, you can see that kind of pretty easily this week if uh, if he gets going. Yeah, this this should be that setup for him. And uh, it's just a matter of finding cheap enough pieces to uh, to have the upside you want to get Gurley going off, plus some other things that could go off and maybe bring down a tournament. Yeah, if I play a couple of uh, bigger tournament lineups, uh, I think Gurley will be in one, and then I'll kind of build something without him in the other. But I, I definitely want some exposure to him at least uh, at least a little bit and see if I can hit on some cheaper guys too. That makes a lot of sense. Last couple of games, we'll kind of fire through real quickly at the 1 o'clock hour. Uh, they're both pretty ugly fantasy games. Jacksonville minus 3 at Dallas. Over-under is only 40.5 in this game. If I had to go with someone on the Jacksonville side, it's probably TJ Yeldon. He's up a little bit priced at 7,100 from last week, but 90 total yards each of the last three weeks. He had 10 targets last week. 
Dallas allowed 120 total yards to Alfred Blue, of all people, last week. So if I'm going to go with anybody in this game, even though Dallas has been giving up a lot of passing stats the last couple weeks, I don't really want Blake Bortles. I thought he looked terrible last week despite the fantasy line. Uh, it's probably only Yeldon for me. Yeah, Yeldon's kind of like an ugly volume play. I think if you look at the Dallas side, you know, Zeke, if you want to pay up, it's fine. You could run a little bit on the Jags, four yards per carry, right by the middle of the pack, three rushing TDs allowed. So Zeke is kind of Zeke and maybe a little lower owned than uh, usual this week, but not like crazy low owned or anything like that. Yeah, I, I can't play him at 8,100 against this defense. They've only allowed one 100-yard rusher on the year, and that was Saquon Barkley week one. That was that one big run that he had. Uh, they held, held Kareem Hunt under four yards to carry last week. They're going to stack the crap out of the box. They're going to make Dak Prescott beat them. With with Bouye and Ramsey on the outside, I think they're just going to be like, yeah, go ahead and throw on us if you want. We're going to put eight guys in the box and see uh, see how much we can stop Zeke. And I don't think with those pass catchers that, is, that uh, Dak can really do anything about it. No, I don't. Those pass catches against Bouye and Ramsey are not something that I want to exploit. Uh, last thing on Jacksonville, you know, Dante Moncrief led the NFL in targets with 15 last week. That yeah, that was a a surprise. And, and how, how many targets like hit offensive linemen on the way there and didn't count it as <laughs> targets for Moncrief? I went back and watched that game, and I thought Bortles was absolutely atrocious, even though he ended up fine fantasy wise because he ran the ball uh, for a touchdown later and had over 400 yards. But I thought he was just brutal. Yeah, it, I mean, definitely the lowlights of the uh, Blake Bortles season. Last game on the slate is the Ravens at the Titans. Ugly game. We mentioned in that Chicago-Miami game, there's only one guy over 7,000 on FanDuel. There's no one over 7,000 on FanDuel in this game. The only guy I'm remotely interested in is John Brown. He leads all NFL wide receivers in air yards, a ton of deep routes. He, he, only, had, he only had four catches for 58 yards, I think, last week, but he had 14 targets. Uh, they've allowed, Tennessee's allowed 400-yard games to uh, wide receivers, Alshon Jeffrey, Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Stills, kind of guys like John Brown that can get behind the defense, can really exploit them. They've given, they give five touchdowns to those four guys. So I think if I'm going to go with anybody, I want some action this game. John Brown at 6,300, I think he's priced really well for uh, what he might do in this game. Yeah, two backfields that chop up the workload, too. So running backs are, are kind of ugly. Uh, John Brown doesn't need a, a high volume of targets to be productive. That's what makes him so appealing. I think he's still more of a tournament play than a cash game play for me, though, despite all the air yards that you mentioned. On the Tennessee side, uh, Baltimore's tops in the NFL have only allowed 5.4 yards per attempt passing. They've given up over 70 yards to one wide receiver all year long, and that was even before Jimmy Smith was back. I want nothing to do with this Titans offense this week. I like the Baltimore defense in tournaments and in cash and in season long. Uh, that's probably my favorite play in this game is the Baltimore defense, followed by John Brown. But after watching Mariota go off two weeks ago and then look just horrible last week, I think maybe that says more about the Philly pasty than anything else. Uh, I thought Mariota looked terrible last week. I want, I want no part of the Titans offense right now. No, I want Tennessee to start finding its stride in the passing game before I make any sort of DFS investments in Corey Davis or, or Mariota or anybody in that offense for that matter. Yeah, uh, Mario's probably my biggest disappointment this season. I, I liked him coming this year in the, in the new offense, and I just he he's shown nothing. He he looks like he's kind of throwing darts more than anything. He's not isn't, his passing motion does not look normal. I don't know if that's because his shoulder or arm is still hurt, but uh, he looks like a different guy back there right now. I just I, I especially against the Ravens, I think this game could be really gross. I should have got rid of him when I had the chance in pentathlon. That chance seems to have uh, escaped at this point. Uh, if you look at my quarterbacks, you would uh, you would think that Marcus Mariota is Joe Montana. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I think I think oh, I think I traded for Baker Mayfield, so I think I'm right there. But I, C.J. Beathard was starting for me last week, but actually had a pretty good game. 
yeah, Bethard, I mean, I don't, I don't hate Bethard in two quarterback leagues for what it's worth. Yeah, I paid. Uh, I think I paid sixty for him in, in Fab, and the backup was five bucks. So I felt pretty dumb about that. But I needed a second quarterback, so uh, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do in Fab. Yeah, that's. I've been underbidding in Fab throughout the season for for what it's worth. I, I gotta I gotta reevaluate some things. Yeah, in the NFFC, I tend to underbid too. There's guys that just like I I wanted. I was in on Wendell Smallwood yesterday. He went for like five seventeen. I mean, it's just. It's hard to figure out. Everybody has so much money there, and there's so few, you know, marquee or name or helpful guys that come across the, the waiver wire that anybody with any kind of pulse just goes for so much. I'm so used to baseball where, you know, there's four or five guys during the year that go for that much, and they're kind of obvious when they do, but it's just football. Everybody has to use their money, and there's, you know, half as many weeks as baseball in fab. So I just, I'm really bad at converting from baseball to football when it comes to that. Yeah, same. I've had that exact same problem. I got, I got to be a lot more aggressive in the future. Yeah, you and me both. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Rotowire DFS podcast for week six. Uh, we will be back at you next week for week seven, hopefully a good week this week. Again, if you could please rate and review the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, I am at Scott Jensted. Derek is at Derek Van Riper, all one word. Uh, we're happy to answer some questions there. We'll probably talk about uh, some plays and injuries kind of as the weekend goes along. Other than that, hope everybody has a good week six, and we'll catch you next week. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.